Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, I believe it is, but you can look it up and check me out, fact check me. But he said, think not that I'm come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And he says, and I say to you that not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Now, a lot of you know that jot is a reference to a Hebrew letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It is actually the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. In the Hebrew alphabet, if you if pronounce, if you translate it from the Hebrew, it would be Yod, Y-O-D. It's the tenth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. In Greek, the Greek word for jot is iota. You may have heard people, I don't give, I don't care, one iota. That means the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, which is the tenth letter. And uh, in Psalm 119, some of you more scholarly people might know the name, and you can shout it out to me if you loud enough for me to hear. It's a poem, 176 verses, Psalm 119. In its poetic fashion, and the way that it was written in the Hebrew is that every Eight verses. The first eight verses start with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is Aleph. The next letter, the next eight verses, start with the Hebrew letter Beth, which second letter. And of course, the tenth down, starting with the seventy-third verse is uh, Yod, which I find it interesting. Not that it actually means anything, but the first verse in Yod, that starts with Yod, is uh, the Lord has made me with his hand. <laughs> and uh, which is a beautiful verse. That's not an exact quote, but it's, it's something. It's like uh, Psalm 139. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And before I was even made on earth, my members were yet fashioned. Before they were fashioned on earth, they were fashioned in heaven or in God, in his book. In his book of life. So, the tittle is the smallest punctuation in the Hebrew alphabet. So when he says, not one jot or tittle shall pass till all be fulfilled. Now let's look at Isaiah 28 and we're going to go for a while. Probably about the 14th, 15th verse. Isaiah 28. Very interesting book. Isaiah. 
Um, I was just listening to a sermon by Ravi Zachariah. And boy, I really I like this guy's teaching. And I've been told that sometimes my teaching goes over people's head. But you, you ought to listen to Ravi. I'm like, I have to listen to it over and over again because it just goes way beyond me, my, my ability, you know. And the teaching that he shared was uh, about King Manasseh. That was, King Manasseh was a son of Hezekiah. And King Manasseh was a wicked, wicked king. They not only offered up babies of sacrifice, but they would offer up their own children in their teens and they would burn them alive as an offer up to sacrifice to his false gods he's also the one that had Isaiah sawn in half and they usually put him in like a tree a hollowed out tree trunk and sawed it in half and uh Manasseh did that. Manasseh's great-grandson, Josiah, was a very righteous king. (laughs) But Manasseh, and I was listening to this sermon by Ravi, and it, it wasn't on this chapter, but this chapter reminds me of it, because when he was talking about during the reign of Manasseh, he was saying and prophetically that our country has come in that direction. And he was uh, quote, quote, fearful for the condition our country was in. And part of the condition has to do with uh, temporal values. And we're going to hear a lot of that in, in this book. Isaiah's written. It's no wonder Manasseh had him sawed in half. Because he didn't like what he was saying. And this is so much. You can hear it. Uh, I know you can get lost in this. I can get lost in it. There's quite a few... Now, I didn't say verse 14. I said we're going to go till verse about 14 or 15. Go back to verse 1. Okay. Woe to you, the crown of pride. Does that sound like our country? And it's going to be like you've got, you had it all. You know? You had it all. We had it all. Woe to you, the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower. You know, the, the, the alcohol, the drugs. Uh, and it was just symptomatic. It, it wasn't specifically talking about drunkards. It was talking about drunkards on the things of the world. It says, uh, 
which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one, which as the tempest of hail and and a destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. You know, the Bible talks about the saving strength of his right hand. As a person who was somewhat of an athlete at one time, when you get faced with your arms not quite being as strong as they used to be, that is a temptation for us as men to feel we're not much of a man anymore. We don't have a strong arm. You know. And um, God says in many places, one of the places in Revelation 1, it says, He who holds in his hand the seven stars. Wow, seven stars in one hand. And the saving strength of his right hand. Well, here is one that is suggesting that there's a a rebuke in his hand as well. Behold, the Lord is a mighty strong one. No, no, no. I'm starting that verse over again. Which as the tempest of hail and destroying storm, as a flood of a mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down to the earth with the hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden under feet. And the glorious beauty, which is in the head of the fat valley. In other words, the fat represented, you know, uh, prosperity. And the fat of the land. And it says, shall be a fading flower. And as the hasty fruit before the summer, which when he that looketh upon it seeth, while it is yet in his hand, he eateth it up. And this is kind of the sermon that Rabbi Zacharias was preaching about America. Next verse. In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. In other words, he's not without reaching out with salvation. For the spirit of judgment, for the spirit of judgment to him and sitteth in judgment and the strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink or out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness. So that there is no place clean. Whom shall he teach knowledge? Whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from milk. And them that are drawn from the breast. 
Now here's the thing. And listen to the, here's the, here, here's an amazing principle of truth right here. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line, line upon line. Here a little, there a little. For starters, this is one way that we grow in the Lord. It says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, it says, We with an open face, be, uh, beholding as in a mirror, with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are changed, that word change is that Greek word morphe again, are changed into the same image from glory to glory. You know, here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. But the truth in the principle of this, it works both ways. And we'll find that out in a minute. For, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people. I remember when back in early 72, uh, January, uh, I had recently, however you want to look at it, gave my life to the Lord, received Christ, confessed Him to be my Lord, got saved, uh, rededicated my life from, because I've done, I'd done that before. And I was just, at that point in time, just so grateful to be saved because I, my life had been total mess you know I, I worked at Teen Challenge for a couple of years and it never it, it, it never ceased to amaze me that students would come into the program and start telling us how to run how to run the program and, it, and it, it, was, it always struck me I said tell me something if you're so smart how come it wasn't working for you before you came you know, if you got so much spiritual knowledge here, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, because if you don't know about Teen Challenge, it's a drug program. And it shocked me that they thought they could tell us how to run the, the place, you know. And so I was on fire for the Lord, and it was just incredible. And every day was just an adventure, and every day was so exciting, and I was just so thrilled. And uh, I was going to a full gospel church, and uh, they, they told me, asked me, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet? And I said, um, no, and I don't think I need it. And uh, the, the judgment that I was making on that that was, how could things get any better than this? And I remember a friend, some of you know this story, a friend of mine that became a friend of mine, young man, and I only knew him about three months, and I still remember him to this day. <clears throat> His name is Eric Havelock Bailey. And Eric Havelock Bailey says, you know, in your testimony, you uh, sp- stated that you wanted what God wanted for your life. And I remember Kenneth Copeland used to talk about how if God wants me to have a rubber ducky, I want a rubber ducky. 
Now, he wasn't talking about rubber duckies. He was talking about, if God wants me, thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven. I want you, I want what you want me to have. And so, Eric Havelock Bailey says to me, have you prayed and asked God if he wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit? And I said, no, not really. And he says, I, I would like for you to consider that. And I said, oh, no, I'll, be, I'll do it. I'll pray, for, pray about that. And as I began to pray about it, I, I began what I, what I considered a, a spiritual uh, yearning. And so I uh, was talking to him more about it. And he, be, he went through the scriptures. And he showed me through the scriptures about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And as you know, that Jesus himself at the age of 30, when he was baptized in water, he was also baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy, Holy Ghost. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Luke 4.18. And uh, if he needed it, or if he, uh, God wanted him to be filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, he's the son of God. What need would he have to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Well, apparently there was. So anyway, Eric Havlock Bailey goes through all these different scriptures. This was one of them. He says, you know, in Isaiah, it says, with stammering lips and another tongue, Shall he speak unto his people? Next verse, please. To whom he said, this is the rest within, and ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. Notice that they would not hear. He's going back to what he said in the first verses. Now, the interesting thing about this is when I actually got down and read this verse, I said, how is that? Let's go back to the verse before. With stammering lips and another tongue, will he, that is God, speak to this people or his people or this people at the time he's talking about? How do do they get that talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost and tongues. What he's talking about, tongues. I said, I don't know, I don't get that. That's kind of stretching it a little bit. Until I found out that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, oh, I'm thinking about verse 35, but don't get me on that one. This verse is quoted by Paul and says it's about tongues. That's, that's good enough for me. It was under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. That means God said it. So it doesn't sound like it's about tongues, but Paul says it is. And he quotes from it. And so with stammering lips and another tongue. Next verse again. To whom he said, this is rest. 
and wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, but they would not hear. It is rest and refreshing. And I have found out that that is one of the byproducts of tongues. Now there's, there's a difference, and it's not, it's not precisely stated, but you have to think, think about it. There's a difference between one of the nine gifts of the Spirit is diverse or diverse kinds of tongues. That is a different thing than the prayer language tongue. Mainly we know this because we know that diverse kinds of tongues was a manifestational gift, one of the nine gifts, and required the interpretation of tongues in it for the body of Christ when they gather together. But Paul said this, I speak with tongues more than all of you, talking to the church at Corinth. Yet in church, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding. That's right there in 1 Corinthians 14. I speak with tongues. So what's he talking about? He's not talking about diverse kinds of tongues because that's in the church. So he's, he's talking about when he prays. It's rest and refreshing. There are many other benefits. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2 and verse 4, it says this, that when we speak with an unknown tongue, we speak mysteries to God. Mysteries to God. And then verse 4 says, He that speaketh an unknown tongue edifies himself. Edifies himself. Jude verse 20 says, You, beloved, build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, we are to to pray in the Spirit, and he distinguished, he says that's about tongues in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, howbeit I pray in the Spirit, but I shall also pray for an interpretation, and I'll pray with the understanding also. So he clearly is talking about in a language that you can't understand with your natural man. Somebody else might be able to understand it when you do it, but you can't. And so, he that prayeth in an unknown tongue speaks mysteries to God. It's like uh, in Romans 8, it says, the Spirit, we don't know what to pray for as we ought. Paul, again, says that. God says that. Well, we do know what to pray for a lot. Because there's a lot of prayers in the Bible. And in the Lord's Prayer, there's, there's plenty of prayers in the Bible. But we don't know what, exactly what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit knows, it says. And it will pray and intercede for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And that is talking about in the Spirit. Interceding for us. Groanings which cannot be uttered articulately. And so, and that's confirmation of praying mysteries to God. It's confirmation that the two verses are talking about the same thing. Just like he that prayeth in an unknown tongue edifies himself. 
You beloved, build yourself up. Same thing. Build yourself up on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Two verses that clearly are talking about the same thing. And one says tongues and the other one says praying in the Holy Ghost. It's the same thing. So you can build your, this is not talking about patting yourself on the back, building yourself. It's talking about recharging yourself in the spirit. So he that prayeth in an unknown tongue edifies himself. He that prayeth in an unknown tongue builds himself up. He that prayeth in an unknown tongue speaks mysteries to God. He that prayeth in an unknown tongue is the Holy Ghost interceding for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He that prayeth in an unknown tongue, it's rest and refreshing. In Acts, the 10th chapter, where Cornelius, where Peter brought the Lord, the revelation in the gospel to Cornelius. It says, while he was yet speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And they began to speak with tongues and magnify God. Praying in the Spirit and speaking to worships, lifts, magnifies God. That's why it charges you up. It makes God bigger inside of you. So there are many benefits to this gift. And I believe it's a prayer language. So I begin to pray. And God, uh, have through the scriptures, uh, and Havelock Bailey, begin to, and I begin to, Say, God, I think you want me to do this. I think you want me to receive the Holy Spirit. And so I did. Uh, I went forward. It was a kind of a unique night. I, I, I shared this, but some of you haven't heard it yet. I was went to a, a Wednesday night service. I called the pastor up who I loved his preaching. And I said, are you preaching tonight? And he said, yes. So I went. And then he said at the meeting... At the last moment, this guy's going to share it with us. And it was about the charismatic movement in the Catholic Church. And he was talking about priests and nuns getting saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and everything. And uh, by the time he got through, he said, we're going to pray for people. And I went forward to get prayer. Prayer. I want to show you some more verses here, though. Let's go to a little bit further. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they might go and fall backwards. Do you understand what this is saying? This is saying, but they wouldn't listen. God was speaking to them, but they wouldn't listen. And just the way you grow forwards, you also fall backwards. It's a little bit here, a little bit there, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And the next thing you know, you're in a pit again. And so it says this, that you fall backwards and be broken and snared and taken Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men. Now, 
I'm not, I can't say for sure that this is, is, is uh, accurate, but I, th- I don't think there's anything in this revivals uh, that have happened in the United States uh, before that, and many, many revivals, and many of them were revivals like in 1904 at Azusa Street, where they were seeking the Lord and they got filled with the Holy Ghost and spoken tongues. And I don't know of anything that has received more ridicule in the church than people who say they speak in tongues. I had somebody says, you're not one of those tongues talker, are you? I said, I sure am. And they just couldn't believe it. It's like, Really, you are? I said, absolutely. I pray in tongues almost every day. And I say almost, I think I do every day. Sometimes a long time, sometimes a short time, but I pray in tongues. And it is rest and refreshing. Sometimes that's the only way that I know because I don't know to pray for as I ought. And sometimes that's the only way I get comfort. Wherefore hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. Now listen to this next verse. Because you have said, we have made a covenant with death. And with hell are we at agreement When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Next verse, please. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone. Some of you are going, ah, amen, amen. You know what that's talking about? That's talking about Jesus. Jesus, just before he went to the cross a week before, Jesus was quoting this verse. The stone the builders rejected has become the headstone of the corner. That's in, in also in the Psalms. Psalm 28, I think. But it's quoted many times, quoted in Peter. It's quoted in other. The stone the builders rejected has become the headstone. I lay in Zion for a foundation of stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. All right. Um, We're going to move along. Cancel that. Okay, turn it off. When Jesus said, not one jot or tittle shall pass from the law till everything be fulfilled. All the promises of God in Christ are yes, and in him, amen. Word promise is a spinoff from the word that it's also for gospel. Angelia or Angelion. 
euangelion or epangelion. Spinoff from the word gospel. It also says, and that's in, in 2 Corinthians 1.20. It also says in Peter, 2 Peter, verse 1. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Same word. Same word for the gospel, the good news. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these promises, you and I, by the gospel, might be partakers of the divine nature of God. Whoo, is that good? Is that precious? Now what's happened is so amazing, and this is one of those things. When Jesus was crucified, it was the Passover weekend. Because he was the Passover lamb. And when he was raised from the dead, it was the first, it was the Sunday, the first day of the week. And when he was raised from the dead, it fulfilled first fruits, the festival of first fruits. And so what you have there is Jesus was the Passover lamb fulfilling the Passover. He is the first fruits from the dead, from the resurrection from the dead. And that is the, the celebration where they brought the tithe offering in and waved it, the sheaves. And then it says that he is the tithe offering. He's the first fruit from the dead. And if we tithe, in the Old Testament, it says if you tithe, the first fruits. See, the reason Cain's offering wasn't acceptable, it wasn't because it was something from the ground. It was because it was not the first fruits. It was just something. Whereas Abel's was the firstling of the flock, the first fruits. And if, it says in the Old Testament, if the first fruits are holy, the whole lump is holy. And because Jesus is the first fruits from the dead, the whole lump is holy. Now we also know that starting on the first day or that day of the first fruits, there was another celebration that was coming up that would be seven times seven days. And at the end of those seven times seven days, they would celebrate Pentecost. Why seven times seven? Seven is a so so important number in the Bible. It's just it's it. And if you you know if you say, well, I don't know if I need to know all this, the answer is yes and no. You need to know it if it's in the Bible. It's important. In the Old Testament, the word seven, Sabaoth or Sabbat was in ancient Hebrew the word for covenant and so when it said God created the heavens and the earth and I'll tell you that if, if you are believe in evolution I think you've got a stronger faith in something than I do in what I believe in because <laughs> I think you, you really got to believe I, 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 don't be, I don't mean to be ridiculing, but I, I think they, they, they ridicule us for believing in creation 
And they believe, evolutionists believe an amazing, I'm not going to get into it. Forgive me, Lord. God created everything in six days. You know what's amazing about him creating everything in six days? Why didn't he do it in one? He, he could have done it in a second. You know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, or 50 years ago, they would have thought, how can God do that? And now we got a smartphone that in one second, it can give you any information there is in the whole wide world. And it's nowhere near as smart as God is. He can speak it all. He did it in six days, but it was seven days because on the seventh day he rested. Created Adam on the sixth day and on the seventh day he rested. Why seven? Because the ancient Hebrew word for covenant was seven. In ancient Hebrew, they used to say if you were making a covenant, you sevened oneself. Now, they, later, they came up with a word called breath. Breath means to cup where blood flow, till blood flows. And that was the word that is now translated from the Hebrew covenant. But in ancient Hebrew, it was seven. Why? Because, see, when God created the world in six days and then rested on the seventh and invited Adam to come in and rest with him, God was making a covenant with the earth, with Adam. And so you find those. There are, after that, there are seven major covenants in the Old Testament. You got the uh, atonement. And by the way, you know what? You know what the word atonement comes from? The word in Latin for one is unus. Okay? And unus means united or one. You might know about Pythagoras and his theory. He he didn't he was into numerics and numerology and I'm not I'm not vouching for that. But Pythagoras believed that number one one wasn't even a number because it meant everything. One, you know, it's like, you know, the guru that said to the hot dog vendor, can you make me one with everything? You know that story. So it's everything. And when you are one with God, when you become one with God, it was called you were at one with God. In the, in the English. And you know what at one is? Atone. So the word atone comes from two words. At one with God. So the day of atonement is one of the festivals. You also had the day of uh, the feast of atonement. You have the feast of unleavened bread. You have the feast of the Passover. You have the, the feast of, of Jubilee. You have the Feast of the Tabernacles. You have the Feast of the First Fruits. Which one have I forgotten? We have seven major feasts that they would celebrate. There are seven major covenants in the Bible. You start off with the Edenic Covenant, the Adamic Covenant, the Noahic Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, 
the Davidic covenant. Uh, I think I left one of those out. And then there's the Messianic covenant, which is Jesus. So there were seven major covenants in the Old Testament. There were seven major festivals in the Old Testament. And if you take seven times seven, that's 49. And that's what happened in the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacle, of the Feast of Pentecost. See, Jesus fulfilled everything. He fulfilled all seven covenants, all the minor covenants, all the seven festivals. He, all the promises of God in him are fulfilled. And so when he, on the day of Pentecost, it was a celebration of one more thing that Jesus fulfilled. Hello? Seven times seven. Seven is so prevalent in the Bible. It's, it's, it's just, it's, you, you gotta, you can't just say it doesn't mean anything. Even when, when John sees Jesus with seven stars in his hand and there's seven golden candlesticks and the seven churches in, that are in, in uh, Turkey that the, is talked about. That's why Jesus says, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day, you, you, have, you need to have a covenantal attitude. He says seven times, no, seven times 70 there are seven times seven, seven times seventy. There are seven, there are multiple sevens. All of it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And all of it was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost, not all of it, but a, a great deal more was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when they would all begin to speak with tongues. One perfect illustration was in the Old Testament when, when, uh, uh, God had made a promise about seed coming for a moment to crush Satan's head. And then that, that was uh, the Adamic covenant. That when the God made that promise to crush Satan's head, from that point on, men begin to look at Am I going to be the firstborn from woman to crush Satan's head? And you know who the firstborn from woman that was not born of man? Do you know who that was? It's Jesus. That's how he had to be born of a, a virgin. He was born of man because he was born of woman, but he was also born of God, and God was the man. <laughs> Hello? And so all these things are fulfilled in Christ. And so when he says that on the day of Pentecost, back, back when he says every person began to believe that a man was going to come and crush Satan's head. And so that was a man that was going to have the name that would be name of God. The name from God. And Cain was the first one that they thought, oh, this is going to be the man. But they, God had to pass over him because he, dis- he disqualified himself. Then you go down the line and, and you know, Ishmael was the firstborn from, from uh, Abraham. And that, uh, that was disqualified. And then the firstborn of Isaac. 
which was Esau, he was first. And there was this Passover. Then the angel of the Passover passed over them, the firstborn in Egypt. But when they got into the wilderness, the firstborn was not the ones that was going to be the priest. So God had to pass over them again. And so they were all the Passover leading up to the Passover lamb, which would not be passed over, which would be the one that would crush Satan's head. Does that sound pretty cool? And so when Nimrod began to build the tower, everybody thinks it's to build the tower of Babel so that we could be, you know, equal with God and like God because he says that. But that's not the real issue there. You know what he said there? Everybody knew that from past history that there was going to come up one that would have the name. And so Nimrod, if you read it, he says, we, the Tower of Babel, we're going to build a tower and we're going to make a name for ourselves. This isn't going to be a name for God, the name of God. This is going to be a name for ourselves. On the day, and he says, and God looked down upon them and he smote them in the mouth and scattered their language and they couldn't understand each other. And they began to divide up into the tribes. Thousands of years later, man was seeking the name of God, seeking the name of Christ, seeking not a name for themselves, but they were seeking not to be equal with God, but to honor God as no equal. (laughs) And as they were seeking him, God looked down and he smites them on the mouth and they begin to speak with tongues and they understood one another and he would begin to bring them. Swat, because all the covenants, all the festivals, all the word of God, every jot, every tittle was fulfilled in Christ. And now the church was born to be sent out in the power of God. Jesus says, but as many as receive him, to them give he power to become the sons. Gives them power to become the sons of God. That word power is actually exosia. It means authority. But when the Holy Ghost came upon them, they got power dunamis. And you see, the gifts of the Spirit are so that we can reach out. In the name of Christ, he is the name. He is the Shem. He is the Sem, the name above all names. And we can reach out in the gifts of the Spirit, just as Jesus on the earth, when he was filled with the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and it caused him to be anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty those that are bruised, to open the prison doors, to heal those that are bruised and brokenhearted, to... Open the prison uh, to heal the blind eyes. And that's what God wants to do through his body that is now on earth. Because he wants his body to crush Satan's head just as he did when he was on the earth. In his name. Hello? And part of that is speaking in tongues. And part of that is worshiping the Lord in tongues. 
And there's been nothing that has been, received more ridicule or criticism than that. Kind of makes you wonder if it's pretty important. Hello? Jesus said this in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. It says, if, if your son asks for a loaf of bread, would you give him a rock? He said, if, if your son asks for a fish, would you give him a serpent? You know, If we which are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall our Heavenly Father give, the, give good gifts to his children? In Luke, when he quotes that verse, you know what he says? He says everything the same. And then he says, if we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask for him? It's for the asking and receiving. He will anoint you to preach the gospel to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To set at liberty those that are bruised. To open the prison doors. To heal the blind eyes. These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall lay hands on the sick. We should be seeing miracles. And I'll be the first one to tell you. I should be right in the mix of it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for saving us. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, oh, may we pray with you today to open up your heart, confess him to be your Lord, and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you do, then I ask you to consider if I have not touched you with the word, I ask you to consider to seek the Lord about what God wants. Now there's a lot of discussion about, you know, if you didn't speak in tongues, then you didn't receive the Spirit. I never believe that. I do believe it's a sign, though. And I also believe anybody that receives it can. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, fall on this place. Fill every person in this room. Lie lie upon their tongues. Anoint them. Anoint us as the body of Christ. That we may flow in the gifts and see mighty things which we know us not. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. From glory to glory, may we be conformed to your image. In Jesus' name. Amen.